Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is another edition of the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North, Thursday, April 14th, 2022. Hope you're having a fantastic Maundy Thursday, getting ready for the Easter weekend or for Passover or just for a long weekend, if uh, neither of those is what you'll be doing this weekend. But we thank you very much for tuning in today to another live edition of the program. Going to be talking later on in the show about some comments by Chief Justice Richard Wagner about the Freedom Convoy, which a few people have been raising some questions about online. Also, a bit of a peculiar poll that the government of Canada is running. We'll get to all that later on, but first want to focus a little bit on Alberta politics. Last weekend, there was supposed to be a leadership review in Red Deer, Alberta for Jason Kenney's leadership of the UCP, the United Conservative Party, and ultimately his premiership. Now, because there was such high demand among UCP members that were going to go more than the poor Cambridge Hotel and Red Deer could accommodate, they've switched to a mail-in voting system. So if you are a UCP member, you've probably received your ballot already to vote on Jason Kenney's leadership. Let's talk about what the big things are in the UCP and in Alberta that are weighing on people's minds with the man himself, Premier Jason Kenney joins me live. Premier, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. It's great to be back on the only media show in Canada that refers to this as Maundy Thursday. Thank you very much, Andrew. <laughs> happy to uh, happy to oblige, sir. Let's start here because I, obviously you were going to have your leadership reviewed anyway right after the uh, election. That's the way the UCP views these things. The COVID pandemic, other challenges in your party have, have certainly made this more acute. What are the key questions that you've been hearing that, that are really the defining questions about how people are voting on this? Basically, whether we stay united or not, uh, we went through a decade of conservative division between 2005 and 2015 in Alberta, after Ralph Klein was pretty much kicked to the curb in a leadership review vote himself. With the PCs cycled through four leaders, we ended up with two conservative parties. That vote split handed government to the NDP. And what I'm hearing from most conservatives is a desire to to stay united. I spent three years of my life crisscrossing the province, much of that time, Andrew, without a paycheck, uh, with a five-point plan to recreate a big tent, common sense, mainstream conservative movement. We won a million votes in the last election on a very conservative platform. We've implemented 90% of those uh, promises that we made. We're leading Canada in economic growth. Um, and but, but on the other hand, Andrew, to be blunt with you, uh, the, there is, uh, there are a, a, few, a fair number of Albertans and conservatives, especially, who are still very frustrated with what happened during COVID. They're angry that there were restrictions. Some people who are opposed to vaccines. I hear them. I respect them. But I, here's my view: we could spend the rest of our lives arguing over COVID and staying stuck in that division and tear our party apart. We could have a leadership election where we'd have candidates out there arguing that we should have done things, we should have had hard lockdowns, we should have had no restrictions. None of that speaks to the real daily concerns of ordinary Albertans. They're focused on, on the economy, inflation, the cost of living. They want a strong Alberta. That's where this government's at, and that's why I hope to get a renewed mandate in this review vote. Is that your view, though, that this is this is the fault line COVID, that the people that do want to oust you as leader, that's the, the primary concern or ultimately the only concern they have with your leadership? Yes. I mean, look, I'm sure that there are other issues, grievances, concerns. There always are. 
in a party. You're never going to have a leader who has, let me do that more slowly. You'll never have a, a party whose leader has 100% support. Um, and there are, I'll be blunt, there's some sour grapes. Uh, there's uh, one guy going around the province who lost the last leadership election two to one, and uh, he wants to settle scores and things like that. You know, we had some candidates in the last election uh, who wanted to run for us, who, frankly, we excluded because they had said truly extreme things like out and out racist things. Uh, and so we, we're not, look, I made it very clear, Andrew, we were not going to let this become another lake of fire party. We're not going to allow people with, with extreme views, you know, like one of these candidates said that Islam is a death cult that all Muslims should have been uh, exterminated. People like that are not going to be on the ballot of a main, my mainstream conservative party as long as I'm leader. So you've got some people like that with grievances. Um, but I think the bulk of the concern and the division in the party has come around COVID. I totally get that. I, I hated everything we had to do through COVID. But on the one hand, I wasn't going to have the hospitals overflow, pull life support. And on the other hand, we avoided the hard lockdowns that would have been so damaging. We didn't get everything right. But I don't want to spend the rest of our lives or arguing over it. Let's look through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. You mentioned the Lake of Fire. When Danielle Smith announced that she was getting back into politics, seeking a UCP nomination in Livingston McLeod, and you were asked about this at a press conference a week or two weeks back, whenever it was, you, you had talked about the importance of keeping extremists out of the party. And I, and I don't know, are you calling Danielle Smith an extremist? And who are you referring to as extremists? Is it social conservatives? Is it people that are against vaccine mandates? Or is it just those couple of people you mentioned there that have made those comments that you uh, characterize as, as racist or homophobic, whatever they are. So look, uh, Andrew, you know, I have been a, a frontline warrior for the conservative cause in Canada pretty much my entire adult life from the days I started, helped to start the Taxpayers Federation in the early 1990s. I mean, I was, I was criticizing Ralph Klein's government for being insufficiently uh, conservative. And uh, so I've been called all of those names uh, by people on the left. That's not what I'm talking about. We, you know what, Andrew, we conservatives have got to show the ability to make critical judgments, to be mature about things like this, just because people on the left, people like Trudeau, casually call a mainstream conservative names, does not mean that we should allow ourselves to associate with people with truly hateful views. I've just quoted a guy who we excluded as a candidate, he's running around the province organizing against my leadership, who said that Islam is a death cult and the Mongols should have snuffed them out when they had the chance. We have people who have um, threatened, you know, left a noose on the door of an MLA uh, saying that she would be executed as supposedly I will following the Nuremberg trials for crimes against humanity, for supporting vaccines. There are people who are getting involved here who would normally never be involved in a mainstream center-right party um, who have expressed truly hateful views. And we have to remember, I think it was the 2011 campaign, Daniel Smith was the leader of the Wild Rose Party. Uh, they had failed to do proper candidate vetting and screening. They had a candidate who online, who had said in a, uh, at a speech that homosexuals would be thrown into a, quote, lake of fire. And... I think 95, 98% of Albertans thought that was revolting. Uh, and uh, yet she kept that guy on as a candidate. We have to have the ability of discernment about what is what is within the broad mainstream of Alberta conservatism and what is truly extreme 
I think as a lifetime fighter in the movement, I can make those judgments in a pretty good way. So, but, but people were hearing you talk about extremists and, and assuming that you were doing the Trudeau thing. You were talking about people who are unvaccinated, people that are against vaccine mandates. That's not who you're calling too extreme for the UCP, correct? Absolutely not. And, and, and I hope they don't make that assumption. But, but Andrew, once again, we should not allow the casual politics of defamation of the left, which I, I have been dealing with my whole life in Canadian politics. We should not allow that to cause us to be unable to make a distinction between maybe sometimes controversial views that are right of center and views that are truly extreme, violent, or hateful. I, as a leader, have to make these decisions when it comes to excluding certain people as candidates. I, you know, I had somebody who's running around organizing against my leadership who said on Facebook, we're coming for you, Kenny, on April 9th. We're taking you and your corrupt government down. You and the Jew-loving great reset tyrants are headed to the Nuremberg trial. Another who's organizing against me claiming that I'm in, involved with Walmart in trafficking children as part of the globalist conspiracy. Uh, we, had some, we have an organizer against my leadership who organized a tiki torch parade in Edmonton using images from the Charlottesville Ku Klux Klan neo-Nazi rally. Now, Andrew, surely we conservatives can say that views like that are beyond the pale. That yes, we support freedom of speech, but if you want, if you if you want to give speech like that, you're not going to do it in a mainstream conservative party, part because we respect human dignity, um, we respect equality of all before the law, but also we're not going to allow people with truly extreme views to make us permanently unelectable. I would completely agree. All of those comments and others that you've raised in the past, not becoming of people that are trying to have a seat at the table, totally what party should be disavowing. But when you start laying out those as you defend your leadership, are you not saying that, you know, the people that are against me are all like that? But I'm not saying that. To the contrary, I've said I, uh, there are many people who have legitimate gr griefs, uh, gripes, I should say, and grievances um, about uh, how we handled COVID. I get it. I respect that. I welcome constructive criticism. I welcome the accountability of this leadership review. I, I, I have been explicit in saying that not everyone opposed to me has these views, but uh, uh, some uh, not insignificant number of people do, uh, Andrew. And they are these are folks who we excluded as candidates because of clear extremism in the past. Uh, they're angry about that. They want revenge for it. They want to take over this party. They want to be, there are extreme people who want to be candidates for this mainstream Alberta Conservative Party. I'm not going to let that happen. Danielle Smith did, which is why she lost the 2011 election. That was an exercise in weak leadership and poor judgment, which we cannot repeat. So if Danielle Smith is successful in her nomination, do you allow her to sit as a UCP MP, MLA rather? Well, well, yes, uh, she'll have to go through the same uh, vetting process as anybody else, including the incumbent, R.J. Sigurdsson there, uh, including me. I have to go through that, that vetting process, and, and uh, we, I've articulated what the criteria is. I'm not accusing uh, Danielle, who's been a friend of mine since she was in university in the early mid-90s. I'm not accusing her of holding extreme views. I'm saying that when she was Wild Rose leader, she did not exercise strong leadership or good judgment in in excluding candidates who made the party unelectable because of such extreme and hateful views. 
looking at the the leadership review itself, this was supposed to be decided last weekend, as you and, and many of my viewers well know. Obviously, the huge uh, outpouring of people signing up for memberships led to the change. What do you take from that? Do you take that all of these people are signing up because they're really happy with you and they understand the stakes? Or, or do you look at that and say, you know, maybe all of these people are, are signing up because the opposite is true? Well, there's probably people on both sides who have signed up. That's typical in a, in a contested party vote. Um, but I, I'll, I can tell you this, Andrew. I've been all around the province in the past few weeks, and I'm quite encouraged uh, by what I'm hearing from grassroots conservatives. Every single one of them, myself included, have, were frustrated with aspects of what happened during COVID, and understandably so. But they're also encouraged to see that our government has implemented 90% of what we ran on of the 375 specific comp commitments we made in the last election, scrapping the Alberta carbon tax, scrapping the NDP's effort to unionize the family farm, scrapping the NDP's radical left curriculum reforms, suing Justin Trudeau over the no more pipelines law, over his tanker ban, uh, creating an Alberta chief firearms officer, an Alberta parole board, um, and, and uh, cutting business taxes by one third, cutting red tape by 25%. And now they can see we've got the strongest economy in Canada last year and this year, the best job creation record in the country. We've been right to fight for oil and gas. Putin's invasion of Ukraine underscores that. They can see diversification happening in our economy and that we are keeping our, our word on jobs, the economy, pipelines, and building a strong province. Most conservatives I talk to don't want to put all that at risk by driving into a ditch of division only to have us argue over COVID policy, which is in the rearview mirror when most Albertans want us talking about the cost of living, housing affordability, um, and, and inflation issues like that. What is victory for you in this leadership review? What's the threshold at which you believe you have a mandate to stay on? Well, in a democracy, a majority is 50% plus one, and that's what the leader needs in our party constitution in the leadership review. I obviously hope to get a larger uh, endorsement than that, and I'm confident that I will, but there's no magic number. I, uh, I, I'll tell you this, if, if I don't have a, an endorsement from the members to carry on, I will accept their judgment with humility uh, and gratitude for the opportunity to have served in the best job in Canada as Premier of Alberta. Uh, and I will move on if that's the judgment of the members. But if the members... But is 50% plus one an endorsement? Well, it, look, listen, if you run in a leadership election and you get 50% plus one, you are the leader. Uh, the, the Premier of Manitoba, Heather Stephenson, uh, just won her leadership uh, in the fall with, I think, literally 51% of the vote. And she's the, she's the leader, she's the Premier, so that's a majority. I, I would hope to get a, a larger endorsement than that, no doubt about it. But here's the bottom line, Andrew. I will respect the decision of our members, and I expect all members of the Conservative Caucus to do the same. One message I'm getting loud and clear from our, message, our members is get your act together, stop the internal firing squad, focus on the NDP, stay united and be disciplined. And that, I, I, I expect, will be a, a strong message from our members uh, in the mail ballot currently underway. 
looking at the, I mean, you mentioned being, a, and everyone should know this, a longtime member of the conservative movement in, in this country and in Alberta specifically. The UCP is still a, a new party. The Alberta conservative movement was fractured, and uh, there was a, a lot of good reason for that fracture. And, and even now, you have uh, a couple of high-profile people seeking seats that want to challenge your leadership, Danielle Smith and, and Brian Jean. You have the Wild Rose Independence Party, which uh, doesn't have any representation, but still has uh, is tripping the radars in, in polls as you will. So do you believe that unity itself is under threat right now in Alberta politics, this idea of a united mainstream conservative party? Well, yes, it is under threat. And if we're not really careful, we're going to end up back to where we were five years ago with two conservative parties and a vote split that hands power to the NDP. There's no doubt about it. I think that would almost be certain if we went into a leadership election right now, because the fault line amongst Alberta Conservatives is primarily over the issues like COVID and vaccines when all of that's behind us. I, I, I truly believe that the worst of COVID is behind us. Uh, we have no intention of bringing in additional restrictions. They're not necessary to protect the hospitals. But Andrew, let me, I'll be very blunt with you. And I said this in my speech to our members last Saturday. If we have a leadership election right now, the passionate driving issue will be some people wanting to settle scores uh, over COVID and ex express their views, their opposition to vaccines, um, and, uh, and, and others saying, what are you talking about? People want to focus on the economy, on jobs, on fighting Trudeau, on, on a strong economy, on things like carbon taxes and housing costs and inflation, the kind of issues that Pierre Polyev is talking about. And if we get into that, we will split the party. It will be largely rural and urban. And I, I fear it would largely be along legacy party lines between former PCs and former wild roasters. It would be deeply, deeply divisive. Uh, mainstream Alberta conservative voters want us to keep our eye on the ball, jobs, the economy, pipeline, fighting Trudeau. They don't want us to go in to a endless debate of recrimination and anger over things like vaccines. That is not where the mainstream Alberta conservative voter is at. So I'm taking my mar marching orders from those folks. I respect people who have different views and they'll have a chance to express those in the leadership review vote. But I just plead with them, let's not drag. Look, we're leading the country in economic growth. According to the most recent credible polls, we're beating the NDP and forming a majority government right now. We have 13 months to go, 13 months of economic growth, of private sector investment, of cutting red tape, of reducing taxes, of building a stronger Alberta. Let's move forward to the future united. Uh, speaking of pipelines, this week you hosted a uh, Democrat senator, although he, he's fairly pro-energy, certainly for the, the current Democrat party, Joe Manchin, in Alberta, and he had a strong endorsement for Keystone. But as you mentioned, we have hostility from the federal government towards uh, the Western and Canadian energy sector and pipelines. You've got hostility from the current U.S. government towards it. How much of an advocate can Alberta be when you have all of this other hostility surrounding the people that are needed to advance some of these large scale energy projects? Well, it was hu a huge win for Alberta to get Senator Manchin up here. He is uh, the, certainly the most powerful man in the American Congress, and, and some say the most powerful person in Washington because he's the key swing vote in the United States Senate, chairman of the powerful energy committee. He came up here for not a few hours, but for two and a half days, uh, toured the oil sands, uh, and I spent hours with him and he, I was so impressed with his understanding and deep support for Alberta oil and gas. He cannot understand 
the Biden veto of Keystone uh, or the anti-Alberta energy campaign that's been coming out of U.S. politics. He and I discussed some very um, bold strategies to get pipelines built, to get more Alberta energy to U.S. and global markets. And he is an unqualified ally. He's invited me to Washington to meet with his colleagues in the Senate, appear before the Senate Energy Committee and develop a North American energy alliance, as he calls it. That's a big win. It would be awfully nice if we had a prime minister in Justin Trudeau who would bother to pick up the phone and call President Biden to deliver the same message and say we need to get pipelines built to displace OPEC and Russian energy from global markets. Yeah, and I think the readout of the Prime Minister's first call with President Joe Biden back in January of 2021 had like one line at the bottom of, oh yeah, and they also talked about Keystone. But there hasn't been federal advocacy here, and and even on carbon tax as well. You know, the Alberta and Ontario governments took this to the Supreme Court, were ultimately unsuccessful. The federal carbon tax remains in place. So what is going to happen for Alberta voters that are looking and just finding it just increasingly like there's no path forward? Well, this I always believe where there's a will, there's a way. 77% of Americans support Keystone XL. The project itself may be dead, but I believe we can find a way to, to revive a, another major Canada-U.S. pipeline. Um, I believe it's critical for global peace and security to displace Putin's dictator oil. And uh, so we will continue to work on that. You're right, though, about Trudeau. I'll tell you, Andrew, a week before President Biden was sworn in, we got word from our allies in the big uh, unions in the United States who supported KXL and oil and gas. They told us that the uh, president-elect planned on vetoing Keystone through an executive order on day one of his administration. They pleaded with me to get Justin Trudeau to call him. I called the prime minister and he basically refused to intervene. So I think that he was uh, at best indifferent about Keystone XL. After all, he's the guy who vetoed Northern Gateway, killed Energy East, and, and is now in a full frontal war with our energy industry through his recent emissions plan that will add another tax, by the way, a thousand bucks per uh, pickup truck, $4,000 for a, three, uh, a, 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 a F-350. Um, We've got to stop Justin Trudeau's war on working people. Uh, just uh, finally, Premier, because you mentioned a few moments ago Pierre Polyev, I know he was just uh, in your province and, and might still be. Uh, is this an endorsement uh, of him uh, when you uh, name check him and, and talk about the issues he's talking about? Are you supporting his leadership bid? Well, right now I'm focused on the big task in front of us here in Alberta. Uh, but I will say this. I'm a huge uh, fan of Pierre's. He the first campaign he worked on was my uh, Reform Party nomination in 1997, when he was like 15, 16. And I could tell he was a brilliant young uh, conservative then. He worked as an intern for me in Ottawa when he was about 18, 19, and a young staffer as well. Uh, I'm so proud of how he's become a, a really prominent and powerful spokesman for conservative values. Uh, and I, I wish him every success, but I'm not going to get into formal endorsements or anything at this point in time. Because, uh, you know, I've, I've got to focus right now on maintaining conservative unity in Alberta so we don't split up this party and hand government to Rachel Notley and the NDP. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Andrew, for being an independent voice in Canadian media. Really appreciate that. Well, it's my pleasure and uh, happy Easter, Premier. Happy Easter to you.
Thank you very much. Always great to catch up with Premier Jason Kenney in Alberta and virtually when it doesn't work that way. I was actually going to be out there in Red Deer and I've been to the Cambridge before a number of times. It's like the halfway point between Calgary and Edmonton. So they tend to do very well at hosting the big conferences. But then, of course, when that got moved, I uh, got to stay home last weekend instead, which was also nice. So I am uh, very appreciative of Premier Jason Kenney for coming on. I want to move on to some other issues that are happening in Canadian politics right now. Feel free to reach out and let me know what you thought of what Premier Kenny was saying. And if you are a UCP member in Alberta, what you're thinking about the race coming up. And if you're voting, let me know what's going on there. Because it is fascinating. And every time I've been out in Alberta, I always hear from so many people. And I'm always astonished at just how... Not, I shouldn't say astonished. I'm always pleasantly surprised by just how, like, raucous everyone is in Alberta in a way that I wish they were here. And I mean that in a good way. Like, everyone gets very gung-ho about political causes, and certainly during the pandemic that was the case because I was going to all of these conferences, including one a while ago, one, like, clandestine conference that was, like, just flirting with the legalities of uh, COVID restrictions at the time. So uh, that, I shouldn't admit to that, but now it's, like, I think past the the statute of limitations. I, I do want to talk about one thing here that jumped on to my screen uh, yesterday, and it's a few days old now, but this is a, an interview that Chief Justice Richard Wagner did with Le Devoir, which is a, a French language outlet in Quebec, a newspaper there. And interestingly enough, I'm looking here and I'm fascinated, absolutely fascinated that the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada would go down this road. The interview was on the 40th anniversary of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is marked this year, very big momentous day, 1982. And the interesting thing is that he was talking about this knowing, I would assume he's knowing that he is going to have to preside over cases that are related to the convoy. There are legal challenges about the Emergencies Act. There are going to be legal challenges about charges. There are going to be legal challenges. I mean, the Alberta government has talked about wanting to take the federal government to court over the Emergencies Act. Plus, you have the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, the Canadian Constitution Foundation. You've got people challenging the freezing of money. All of these challenges, some of them or all of them could end up before the Supreme Court. And Chief Justice Wagner has to know that has to know that. And he says that what we have seen, I'm translating here, but what we have seen recently on Wellington Street, that's the main street in front of Parliament Hill, is the beginning of anarchy where some people have decided to take other citizens hostage, to take the law into their own hands, to not respect the legal mechanism. That I find disturbing. So he says it's disturbing, the convoy. He says it was anarchy. He says it was taking Ottawa citizens hostage. You go on and he condemns politicians who stood up for it. He said he disapproves of political actors who stuck up for the Freedom Convoy. And he says, oh yeah, people of good faith might have been in it, but they were misguided. Misguided. They were trying to bypass the political system, he said. He says it doesn't inspire good feelings in me. I find that disturbing. Now, this is translated, but you can look it up for yourself at Le Devoir. The Chief Justice of Canada is talking about the Freedom Convoy as though it was this lawless bunch of hooligans, not people that have a a democratic and constitutional right to protest. And he dares talk about this in the context of the 40th anniversary of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, 
which affirms the right to protest, which affirms the right to free speech and freedom of expression. So I I disagree with the message itself, but especially coming from someone who will have to adjudicate cases related to this convoy. How, How could anyone who was connected to the convoy in some way get a fair hearing at the Supreme Court when the Chief Justice has already decided that this is something he disapproves of? How are politicians supposed to respond if the Chief Justice has already said, oh yeah, I'm against you because you supported this protest? I mean, I was talking about the problems of Jean Charest, the conservative leadership candidate, taking aim at uh, the convoy in this way, but at least he's doing it in a way that is appealing to a constituency. He's not supposed to be neutral. He's not supposed to be above the fray. Chief Justice Wagner, on the other hand, he is supposed to be impartial. And and again, maybe we should be happy that he was honest. Maybe we should be happy that he was so transparent about his contempt for these peaceful protesters. Remember, Tamara Leach, who is, I mean, she's on bail right now, and part of her bail conditions are that she's not allowed to express publicly any support for the convoy. The convoy is not in Ottawa right now. The convoy is not at any border crossings. The convoy exists in people's hearts and minds, but it doesn't exist in any physical form at a site to the extent that it did in Ottawa. She's not allowed to express support for a protest that no longer exists. She's not allowed on social media. She's not allowed to talk to people. And by the way, I heard from someone that uh, some of the people on the list of of folks she's not allowed to talk to, she had never even heard of before she had these bail conditions imposed. So uh, I I point that out to say just how heavy-handed these restrictions are. And the judge that initially denied her bail was a former liberal candidate. So there's a pervasive problem, and this was something that was raised by Tamara Leach's lawyer, not as a significant point. It was more a just, you know, we have to look at this and and raise questions where they may exist about judicial bias. But here we have the Supreme Court of Canada's chief justice, the chief justice of this country, the guy who fills in for the governor general when we don't have a governor general as the chief administrator of this country, saying that he's disturbed by people supporting the convoy if they're politicians, and that it was anarchy, and that Ottawa citizens were held hostage. So good luck getting a fair hearing if you're one of these people. And this is where I get to my great frustration. And by the way, a number of people, when I I shared this on Twitter, said, oh, well, he was a Trudeau appointee. No, he wasn't, actually. He was appointed to the chief justice role by Trudeau, but he was appointed to the Supreme Court by Stephen Harper. And, And the problem with institutions is that they take on a life form and ideology of their own where it doesn't even matter who's there. They all end up being consumed by this. You know, Stephen Harper, he stacked the board of CBC, he stacked the Supreme Court, he stacked for a time the Senate, he stacked as well the Canadian Human Rights Commission, and John O'Sullivan, fantastic writer, former advisor to Margaret Thatcher, he coined O'Sullivan's first law some years ago that any institution that's not explicitly right-wing will over time become left-wing. And uh, it's hard to dispel this because he's talking about the leftward drift of any organized institution, any organization at all. And courts are great examples of this. He, he was basically making the point ne- that neutrality or impartiality inherently drift leftward. And part of that is because cultures tend to drift leftward. The other part of it is, is that you have, again, consuming power, all-consuming power. 
So I, Richard Wagner, I mean, again, I, I'm not a lawyer. I haven't studied his decisions. He's come down on the right side of some and the wrong side of others from ones that I have come across. But I, the Supreme Court of Canada, even when you talk about conservative appointments, even when the court was stacked by conservatives with, you know, six of the nine justices by Stephen Harper, it was still siding against civil liberties. And now the Supreme Court is unilaterally and preemptively, de uh, preemptively declaring that the Freedom Convoy does not have a right to exist. And it's just baffling to me how people can look at this and say, again, we talked about this with Bruce Party and Patricia Adams a couple of weeks ago. They were arguing that Canada needs a new constitution. And Bruce was saying the Charter of Rights and Freedoms just isn't protecting Canadians. And the flip side of that is that Brian Peckford, the former premier of Newfoundland, I've had him on the show a couple of times, and he's defended the charter. He was the, he's the last guy around, the last first minister around the table when the charter was being negotiated and was passed. He believes in it. He believes it's been abused and crumpled up and trampled on by courts and politicians, but he fundamentally believes in the document as we look at its 40th anniversary. And... I, with all due respect to Premier Peckford, I have a hard time landing on his side of this because your constitutional rights mean nothing if you don't have institutions that are prepared to uphold them. Uh, the carbon tax is a great example of this. The, the carbon tax is a political decision now. It's supposed to be federal uh, provincial jurisdiction, but the court has determined that it's actually the federal government that gets to impose this thing onto the provinces. Okay, yeah, your carbon tax may be annoying. It may be something you don't like, but it's not about your fundamental freedoms, right? What about free speech? Well, when that comedian, Guy Earl, was it Guy Earl or am I mixing up comedians? No, not Guy Earl. The uh, the other one whose whose name escapes me for a moment. The uh, the guy whose case went to the Supreme Court not that long ago. Uh, Guy Earl was another one who uh, the, the courts went after him. His name was Mike something. I don't know why I can't think of it. In any case, I'm sure someone in the comments will uh, will point it out. But when his case went to the Supreme Court recently, it was basically whether he was allowed to tell jokes. Whether he was allowed to tell jokes. Mike Ward, thank you very much to the, uh, the people who flagged that. Uh, he, and, and it was close. It was 5-4. 5-4. If, if one Supreme Court justice had decided, yeah, you know, I actually don't think you have the right to tell mean jokes, then the right to comedy would no longer exist. So I would look at this and say that should have been a 9-0. May, maybe an 8-1. We'll give him an 8-1. One, you're allowed to have one extremist on either side on the court. But, but that should have been just absolutely a no-brainer. 9-0, maybe 8-1. 5-4, it was close. It was close. And the problem with these courts is that they're stacked by people that want to expand the power of the court. They want to expand the ability for the court to decide things that are not for any institutions to decide. Beverly McLaughlin was famous for this. She, she gave a line in a speech, and I, I quoted it in some article I wrote a while ago about uh, assisted suicide, where she said that her job was to look at the evidence, then sit back and consider what's best for society. And, and I was floored by that, because that's not your job as the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. You're not deciding what's best for society. What you're deciding is what the law says. You're interpreting the law, you're applying the law, but you're not passing social engineering, or you shouldn't be passing social engineering off as judicial decisions. And, and when you have 
judges like the chief justice right now talking about the convoy in political terms that if if a politician were to say what he'd say i'd oppose it but at least there's an accountability there at least you can vote the politician out you can condemn them you can say they're wrong this is the guy who has not even seen or entertained a convoy related case and he's already decided that they were a bunch of hooligans anarchists you name it I don't even need to extrapolate or editorialize because his words themselves have defined what he believes. Absolutely unreal. Uh, Just before we wrap things up here, I want to focus on this amusing thing. So I get polls every now and then, and the only reason I answer my phone and take telemarketing calls is because from time to time, I like to know who's polling what. And sometimes I've learned of people that are launching leadership campaigns because of this, because I hear they're polling it. Other times I learn of weird things the government is considering. I got one yesterday from Ecos for a poll being conducted by the Canadian government in part partnership with the World Health Organization. And I was going through this and a lot of the questions, they they called me and asked if they could email me the poll. And I said, yes. And then they emailed it to me and I took uh, 20 minutes or so. And I I did the poll today. And, you know, a lot of them were, how much has the pandemic affected you? What's your view of this? How concerned are you about COVID? How comfortable are you viewing people without a mask and and the sort of the usual COVID stuff. And then I just kept clicking through and I I was answering the, the questions quite diligently. And then they started asking questions that you know they're using to support this idea that the people who don't care about COVID, the people who aren't living their lives in fear are idiots or conspiracy theorists. There were two sections in particular that told me they were doing this. The first one was a list of headlines. I didn't take a screenshot of it, but it was a list of headlines. And they said, how much do you agree or disagree or how true or untrue do you think these things are? And one of them was like, you know, anyone who gets vaccinated is dead or so like they're really weird, extreme things. And some of them were study finds that COVID vaccines are not effective in children or stuff like that. And then I I went through that. And then the next page was trying to root out who the conspiracy theorists are. And I'm going to put this up on the screen here. You have to, on a scale of zero to 100%, indicate the likeliness that each of these statements is true. The first, I think there are secret organizations that greatly influence political decisions. Well, uh, maybe maybe I'll give that one a 90%. I don't know. I think that government agencies closely monitor all citizens. Well, we know they do. I've had like ATIP responses, access to information filings that show the government is monitoring people's social media. So I'll give that one 100%. I think that politicians usually do not tell us the true motives for their decisions. Well, I'd say that's 100%. I mean, absolutely, they're politicians. I think that many important things happen in the world which the public is never informed about. That just seems like a no-brainer. And I think that events which superficially seem to lack a connection are often the result of secret activities. Is it bad that I think all of these things are reasonable enough to believe? Maybe not with 100%, but, uh, you know, at least 70, 80, 90. But you just know that they're going to take from this that anyone who uh, checks these things off on their list is a conspiracy theorist. So I'm going to be like waiting and watching for <laughs> for whatever the results of this poll are that the Canadian government is inexplicably conducting with the uh, World Health Organization. That'll do it. I know it is Maundy Thursday, as Premier Jason Kenney said. He's uh, grateful I call it. So happy and blessed Maundy Thursday to you all, and I hope you all have a, a fantastic Easter. I know it's never fun to pull up the show heading into the long weekend, but I do appreciate you sticking through me as we talk about Alberta politics, federal politics, politics, 
and whatever else comes out along the way. We'll be back next week with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.